Hello and welcome. You are listening to Uncle Marv's IT Business Podcast. Tonight's show, joining us once again, Michael Skrula from Radix IoT. We're going to talk about the impact of IoT on the IT professional. We've got news from Synchro. I've got a new queue ready to rock and roll. And we'll be prepping for this year's annual Halloween. No, we've already done that one for the annual holiday show coming up at the end of the year. So sit back, relax. It's time for the show. Hello, friends. Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, your podcast for IT professionals, where we try to help you run your business better, smarter, and faster. This is our regular Wednesday live show. It is the last show of November as we head into December and get ready for the end of the year. I know that a lot of you, a lot of you were shopping on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And the reason I know that is because you actually did something I asked you to do. You went shopping by clicking the link to support the IT Business Podcast. I thank you for that. I saw a lot of purchases go through. We'll review some of those uh, maybe in the upcoming weeks. Some of them might make good Christmas gifts. So if you have not purchased any, you can use the list that I will share with you and maybe get some tech gifts for friends and family. Tonight's show, as I mentioned at the top here, we are bringing back Michael Skurla from Radix IoT. We're going to Talk about things to help us understand what IoT means to us as the IT professional. We, of course, are dealing with that in our regular jobs, whether we like it or not. So we need to start talking about it. And I mentioned some news from Synchro. Synchro has just put out a report, and I got this notice today. Uh, they have launched their MSP pricing plans and models reports. I will have a link for that in the show notes, and it uncovers how MSPs are running their businesses and are pricing their services. And a couple of things to note that uh, it looks like 39% of the revenue that MSPs get comes from monthly contracts. Seems a little low if we're all talking about monthly recurring revenue. 15% of MSPs accept crypto as payment. That's a lot higher than I would have thought. 63% of MSPs raised prices in the last 12 months. That I would expect. This is kind of an interesting note. Most MSPs offer four or more standard plans, yet more than a quarter, 26% of respondents, said they don't know how their organization created its pricing strategy with only 7% developing pricing rates backed by research. That is something that is interesting. So I I may be reaching out to Synchro and asking them, you know, what they think of these findings. And I'll probably ask a lot of you guys out there and gals uh, how you're doing your pricing. Pricing is always something we talk about. Uh, It's very interesting. Four or more standard plans seems like a lot. Uh, I only have two. And I've been trying to stream that down to one and just have one price for everybody. And then I may offer discounts 
based on level of participation. So um, that will be an interesting read and discussion. Of course, the big news, everybody's heard the last two weeks that Sonic Wall uh, is now a part or actually Sonic Wall has acquired our friends over at Solutions Granted. After 22 years, Michael Crean and his crew uh, have valiantly served our community. And it just, listen, I think we all saw this coming. It was just a perfect partnership. Uh, it's going to be something very transformative for both Sonic Wall and Solutions Granted. Just seems like a match made in, hev- in heaven. And yes, I have reached out both to Michael, our good friend, and I've reached out to Michelle. Uh, Michelle, who is near in this area, she is the channel chief for Sonic Wall. Michelle Ragusa McBain, uh, wife of Jay McBain, who has been on the show many times. So I've reached out to both of them to see if we can get them on the show and, and talk about what that means for us in the channel. So good news there. Uh, some news for the, the show here. I've released a new queue. The what used to be the monthly question of the month. I'm just now calling the queue because I don't know how often I'm going to change it. But just so that you know, I put out a a beginning queue, kind of like a teaser. And if you head over to itbusinesspodcast.com and just simply uh, when you get there and you get to the home page, I'm going to actually pull this up here so you can see if you're watching the video, but obviously if you uh, are able to just head over there, you get to the home page, right over to the right there, it says the queue. Pretty simple, pretty easy, takes you to the page. And this week's question, what is your favorite Christmas movie of all time? And yes, I do ask for your name and your email because when you submit your reply to this, you will be entered into some sort of raffle drawing pick-me-up type of thing where you'll be eligible for one of maybe two or three Amazon gift cards that will be presented during this year's holiday show. And I was prepared to tell everybody that between this and the previous cues, you know, there were only about 15 participants in the questions of the month, and it would have been a great uh, percentage chance of you winning if you decided to get in here now. However, when I posted the queue up today, the very first person to answer, Rachel Miller. So everybody else's chances just went down, but go ahead and enter anyway. Uh, maybe we'll be able to thwart the gods and not have a Miller win, but I uh, just wanted to get that out there. And the other reason I'm mentioning the queue, not because of I want to know everybody's favorite movie, uh, Christmas movie of all time. This is what I'm going to be using to get to all of the voting for this year's holiday podcast awards. Last year was the first year we did this and the, uh, the, the guest of the year. And the episode of the year, Synchro has already been sending out their minions to see uh, how they can participate in the early voting. I've not released that yet. It will be released next week. And I'm going to switch it up a bit. We're going to make sure that 
the ballots cannot be stuffed, but we're, we're going to make it where there will be plenty of time to vote for both your favorite episode and your favorite guest of 2023. And I am considering adding a third category. And I'm not quite ready to announce that yet. I will make that decision by this weekend. So there will be three awards that can be won for the Holiday Podcast Awards. And uh, just so that you know, Synchro's already trying to do a repeat. And uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, let's go ahead. That takes care of all of our housekeeping. Let's go ahead and bring up our guest and get right to it because I know that people have been waiting. In fact, we already had some questions come in. Michael Skirla with Radix IoT. Michael, how are you? Great. Uh, good afternoon or evening. Yes, definitely evening. Uh, it's evening for us, uh, but could be any time when they listen to the show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Great to be here. Um, I really had fun last time, um, so really was excited to get here. Well, it was good to to meet you and to have that chat and that little introduction into the world of IoT as you see it. Uh, from an IT perspective like myself, we, you know, as we discussed, we kind of shove IoT into that, you know, BYOD category, you know, where people bring their stuff in and that's our world touching our network. But IoT is... It's much more than that. You can't get rid of it. Um, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't try. Uh, it's it's going to continue to grow. Devices are continue, continuing to come out, getting on networks. And you've got two choices. Either you accept it and you work with it, or you try to fight it and you're going to probably lose uh, because people will go around it. That is true. That is true. Now, we can go into a few things here, but the first question I really want to ask you the last time we chatted, you were actually getting ready to head across the pond to the big old conference, the IOTSF something over there. Uh, tell us how, how that was. So the IoT Security Foundation, um, this was their ninth conference. Next year is the 10th, their big one. And they've promised something large. I don't know what that'll be. Um, but yeah, this was in uh, downtown London, interestingly, in the theater district this time. And there was... I want to say a good 200 people there, all security professionals, mostly out of the um, IT space. And the reason I have to clarify that is because IoT is such a broad topic these days. Um, you've got people from the facilities world. You've got people from automotive stepping in. Um, so it's not just IT professionals that are dealing with this. It's all these professions. Uh, we were all there for uh, – it was a full day. Um, a lot of different speakers, a great event. It really is wonderful because it, it goes into what are the emerging topics within IoT around security. Um, and I really enjoy it because it, it is a conference format and it's educational. Um, there are sponsors. There are people in you know lobby tables and you get to talk to people, but it is really set out to be an educational event. Um, and it proved really interesting. Um, this is the second year that I went. I spoke at this um, and I spoke on the topic of building systems um, and the threats that building systems both have and can help mitigate. Um, but there was a number of topics that came out of it. And one of them is the zero trust methodology um, that is being uh, talked about more and more. And the second topic that I think a lot of us ignore, um, particularly 
well, unless you're an electrical engineer, is that um, uh, memory leaks are one of the largest offenders of um, uh, CVEs, uh, critical, critical vulnerabilities that are released. Now, the problem with that is IT professionals usually have no control over those. That is down to the firmware level most of the time. And that's where things get the most scary. Um, anyway, fantastic conference. I uh, would encourage anyone to really look them up, iotsf.com, complete non-for-profit. Uh, and their focus has been on really trying to make IoT something that isn't over-regulated, but at the same time make inroads um, into the safety of its application. Hmm. There's a lot of different roads we can go down to yeah. <laughs> based on what you just said. Uh, and, and the first area that I was going to talk about is, you know, as we recap uh, the last show that we did, you know, uh, 570, by the way, for folks, if you haven't uh, listened to that show previously, um, we talked about I, IT professionals just simply understanding IoT as something that we need to manage and we can't just look at them as just another device on the network. Right. And I was thinking about some of the things where I, I mentioned to you that I had a client that was trying to bring in a vendor-like machine where their staff could actually go and take out tools and equipment that would have to be connected to the Internet, but I couldn't manage. Right. And that sounds right. exactly like what you were talking about, where these are things that, you know, they're touching our network, but we don't have control, especially if we're talking about updates on the firmware level. Um, so this is truly a, a whole different ecosystem that we have to, to deal with. It is. And you actually touched on something. Um, I don't know if it was accidentally or not. Supply chain. Um, it is one of the most critical areas uh, within the IoT space. And a lot of that comes down to, if we're getting involved in networking, especially in the United States, there are a handful of reputable vendors that we know, um, right? You've got the Cisco's of the world. You've got things like Ubiquiti, companies that you know the names of. In the IoT space, that isn't necessarily the case. Um, and there can be a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, if it's not a name brand, we can't use it. Well, that's, that's a fallacy because um, IoT devices are in all different verticals now. So just because an IoT professional doesn't know a brand or know its reputation from a completely different market does not mean that they haven't put effort into the security of it. However, there hasn't been a transparency into what that supply chain is by vendors. And that was talked about quite heavily at the IOTSF. And they put out a framework, actually, that companies should investigate into um, supply chain logistics. Um, and that goes from the manufacturer level all the way up to the user level um, on the commercial side. let us We won't go into the residential, um, <laughs> yeah. but... Uh, on the commercial side, recommendations uh, into how that should be deployed um, and areas that are often overlooked. Um, it's that firmware and that ability to have at least know that there are updates that are coming to devices 
that can be applied either manually or automatically um, is vital. Uh, and actually now coming into some thoughts in legislation in certain areas, um, having to disclose how long you're going to support a device. Uh, it's it, it, Nothing is a one-hit wonder anymore. You can't release a device with a firmware package and say, that's it. Um, you know, we're done. It's going to be great. Plug it into your network and, um, you know, that's the end of it. Uh, it. It has to be upgradable. Yeah. So you mentioned supply chain and the other vendors other vendors that are, I don't want to say encroaching on our space as IT professionals because in a lot of ways that's how we felt for a long time where the yeah. camera person comes in and wants to throw their NVR on the network and the door access people want to come in and, you know, they need to be able to see stuff from the network side. Uh, I've got a client that they've got Honeywell thermostats that are Wi-Fi devices on the network. Uh, we've got their alarm system. Is is that is it an alarm called Residio? First time I'd ever heard of it. But yeah. there is, you know, what you mentioned, a vendor in the channel. They've been around a while. They have, you know, it's not they're not new, but they're new to me. Right. It's, I think in the IT world, we played security guards or we thought of ourselves as a security guard. I think that, um, that analogy has to be broken. Um, in a way, uh, we're more of the organizer, the facilitator, um, because all of these things, we talked about this a bit before you want on your network, actually, um, you want to understand them. You have to be able to learn about them. Um, and you have to understand where the vulnerability vulnerabilities are to increase the safety of the network as the world moves to more connected devices. I, 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 I have asked, I didn't ask this last time. How many uh, connected devices do you have in your home? Okay, well, I'm not the person to ask. <laughs> You're not the one to ask? Okay. No, because here's the thing. So I am one of those people where I didn't want the smart home. But, right. I mean, okay. there's probably maybe – there's two of us in the house full-time, but I, we probably have 15 devices or so. But I've I've been in homes where, you know, I'll see 30, 40 devices, and that's before they even consider because now the refrigerator could be internet-enabled. The washer and dryer could be internet-enabled. Uh, there's a lot more things that could show up there. There are. And think of guests. So I have children, right? And they're teenagers. Um, by the way, I have 59 devices. That even shocked me. Mm. Um, I looked the other day because I was in uh, the router and I was like, oh my, wow, 59. But then I started looking and because I have kids of teenage years, they have friends of them. All of a sudden, I'm introducing other vectors of attack. Um, if you think about it, on my network. Um, but in a business sense, you have the same issue. You have the same things. You can't always control everything that's going on that network. You certainly can tighten it down as much as you can. But in this day and age where we are having so many people um, that are mobile, so many people uh, not only working from home, but the idea of hot desking is becoming popular, that you're having people transition in and out of other networks, IoT devices are yet just another thing joining that. And you have to be able to adapt to this environment. Um, again, where zero trust was really coming in with uh, IoTSF. 
um, being able to really start from, well, you don't trust it, but you are going to um, expose the bare minimum that is necessary to allow that other device to function successfully within the network. That isn't what we used to do before. Um, what we used to do before was saying, oh, it needs internet connectivity. Cool. Now you got it. Well, let's ask some more questions. Where are you connecting to? Why? Um, what ports are you really using? Um, does it have to connect all the time? There's, there's all of these ways that you can get to a more secure environment within the IoT world and even the, the, the standard um, client world um, that we have to start looking at. But it does require the IT professionals to start learning and accepting these other devices. Um, it's a rough job. Um, you're constantly going to have to learn. Yeah, that's, that's how I'm looking at it. Let me ask a question, and, and we're totally going off script here, so... I hope we're we're okay doing this. One of the things that I think we as IT professionals are used to doing is when something comes on the network, our first thing is, you know, to to create a VLAN, a completely separate network that yes, it can have internet access, but it's not touching my local LAN. Um, and normally that works if we can do an IP reservation, you know, to control what the IP address is. Uh, I just had a conversation with a vendor and I can't remember if it was either their camera or their door access system where their device did not allow for DHCP and they had to manually put in that IP address. And I said, well, that's not going to work because if we change this network, I don't want to have to manually touch your device or, or call you to have somebody come out just to change the IP address. So one of the questions I have for you is while there are a lot of vendors that are pushing us forward with IOT and other devices on the network, there are a lot of vendors that are kind of behind the ball. Uh, how far is that gap in your opinion? It's closing, um, but it's there. Okay. Uh, I, I worked in the lighting industry for a long time um, and lighting moved into connecting through bridging a long time ago. You know, they still have proprietary networks with serial devices everywhere, but then they go back to a bridge. Um, and this is sort of where a lot of the other trades got involved. Um, the lighting systems, security systems, um, even cameras, right? The NVR was more or less the bridge to the world. Um, even, even if they were network cameras changed them somewhat. Um, but then, uh, BMS systems. So they're advancing and they're getting pushed, but they're getting pushed because of generally bad reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's the breaches. It's the breaches that cause, uh, somewhat hysteria. Um, and then all of a sudden a reaction where, Oh, we really have to think about security. Um, and it, it, it's good or bad because, some of those have happened now several times and it's, it's jolted particularly the building technology space into saying, okay, we have to take this a bit more seriously. Um, it's, it's never going to disappear. You, I am a big fan of buying, uh, I'm going to use the word junk on eBay (laughs) sometimes, um, because I want to see how it works and I want to see 
what type of vulnerabilities really are in these things. Um, And that's a dangerous world because that stuff is winding up in people's homes and in offices. And that's where the supply chain side, I, I firmly believe that security within the commercial world with IoT is not really a technological solution. There is some a qualification process, and it involves that supply chain uh, and being able to implement something like that with IT firms where they can qualify devices that are coming onto their network rapidly. That's that's the issue we've always had. Uh, how can you do that rapidly? Okay, so let me let me skip ahead and then ask you from a security standpoint. We're we're used to understanding we need to close down ports in the firewall. Yeah. We're used to understanding that we can't leave devices like a printer or a switch on the network with a default you know, username and password. If we don't have control of some of these other systems that are coming online, what are the possible ways that those can be compromised and hack our system? I mean, that's because you've, you've mentioned that apparently that was a big topic was security. It is. Uh, I'll give you a really interesting example of something that I found. Um, and it's a simple wall switch, light switch. Uh, the, the light switch was a Wi-Fi light switch made by um, a relatively unknown manufacturer, but you can buy them on Amazon. Um, and that device was configured through Wi-Fi with an app. The problem was, it could also operate as a bridge, um, meaning all of a sudden it was connecting to a Wi-Fi access point. Um, now, y- you certainly could start shutting down ports um, to that switch, but that isn't done very often. Um, and the switch had the ability to, in a way, act as a Wi-Fi access point, its own, um, meaning it had the ability to enter the network um, and allow someone to connect to the Wi-Fi switch, not the um, access point, as a route in. Um, therefore, therefore, literally eliminating the need for um, any type of uh, WPA, uh, any type of password protection or um, SSID protection, because it was a private network made only for configuration with a default password. Um, that's one example, uh, and that's a pretty extreme example on a very low cost device. But wouldn't that scenario, I, I mean, so I know of other devices where you would do that. You get the app, you mm-hmm. log in with the default username, password, you connect it, but that access either goes away or you can change the password and stuff. And I have seen somewhere you're right. That access stays available. People, driving by your house or by your office can see that yeah. as a Wi-Fi network and think, oh, let me connect to it and see what I can do. Yeah, I was able to find, um, you know, I, I think I can still see my neighbor's TVs uh, in some cases. Um, it, so that's that's one, one vector in. Uh, one, one area that I want to mention, particularly in the building management side, um, you mentioned the default password thing. Uh, absolutely, that is still one of the biggest holes that people don't change. But it's even more simple than that. You can make the most complicated passwords, but the 
most frequent way into a system still is not technologically advanced. It's phishing. Um, it is mass phishing until someone gives up the password, literally says it, mm. or writes it down or emails it to someone. It is still the most common way of getting uh, credit card information, um, bank account information, passwords, um, and it works in volume. Um, it works with trying lots and lots of people. And you find some people. So there's an education issue there. Uh, and that's one that I've, I've struggled with for a really long time to figure out how do you solve that? You can add all of this technology and you can add even the idea of things like two-factor authentication and um, uh, restricting where clients can be and access. And all of it comes down to the education of people caring about security enough. Uh, to know, you know what, probably shouldn't ever give out my credit card number uh, in an email. And I'm using credit card as an example, but passwords, the same thing. The amount of people that will give their password to someone who says, hey, I'm from your bank. Um, can you give me, uh, I need your PIN, is staggering. Um, and it's, so there's, a, there's an education problem. And I, I've never been able to quite put my finger on is that where is that able to be fixed? Um, because it is a, something that's going to chase us as IT professionals, as humanity forever. Yeah, I still struggle with that because even though we set up secure password pushing technology to where we'll send it either through a text or a disposable email, Yep. <laughs> which we, yeah. we're trying to get people to use for some reason. It's, oh, I forgot it. Can you send it again? Just send it yeah. to me. Just send it to me by text or <laughs> it's because I mean, I, I understand that people are lazy, but we also have that password fatigue, uh, MFA fatigue. People are just tired of having to put in, you know, a code for everything they try to do. And one of the big things is, leaving their phone unlocked with the apps available. Uh, I've got a client I'm trying to get them to, they have a tablet in their office. It's a, it's a co-managed situation. So it's not my network per se, but their IT, they have a tablet with all their stuff for their network that they, you know, somebody can walk around the office and, um, and then they just leave that tablet just laying around somewhere. I'm like, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, I almost wanted to buy people as a gift. You can find it on Amazon if you want to look. Look up uh, My Password Book. And it's literally a paper notebook saying My Passwords on the top. Of, and it's serious. It's not like a joke gift, not like a gag gift. And I'm like, wow, people still do write them down, leave them around. And lo and behold, um, uh, you wonder why. And you, generally, you look in that book and find that Almost all the passwords are the same thing anyway. Right. Uh, they didn't change them. Yeah, we we had a client that – so they tried to get serious about their security uh, because they had a big thing with all the secretaries, you know, taping up their list of passwords on, you know, their cubicle 
and stuff like that. And the owner said, you know, finally one day he goes, we've, we've got to get, you know, serious about this. So anytime you see a password, Marvin, when you come into our office, if you see a password, you take the paper down and you go and run and change those passwords. And then they have to come to us to reset them. Yeah. And then, yeah. but after like two or three days, they said, you know what? Stop it. <laughs> it was, yeah. It's too much. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, you know it, it's a common problem, and uh, it, it's one of the most basic um, issues that education on security that we, we still haven't figured out how to address. And you know that, that's a little off topic on the IoT side, but it, when I look at IoT as a whole, the vulnerabilities are still exceptionally basic. Um, there are very complex hacks. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, there's some in Bluetooth that, uh, a while ago that were discovered that were extremely complex. But, uh, you know, are they exploited to a, a large degree? No, because they're, they're fairly complex. You have to be very educated to use those exploits. And they're used generally on, call it nation state style, um, uh, attacks. Where the harm really comes into play are the very basic housekeeping topics. Uh, and you, know, you mentioned open ports. Uh, there's one. Um, but even that is getting to the point where, uh, you know, I've, we've started recommending, uh, we do a significant amount over large, uh, our, our businesses into geographically diverse sites, right? So we are constantly dealing over cellular networks. Um, and international uh, networks all over the place to pull data in. Um, everything now is going uh, on separate VPNs, and we're really trying to limit any serious open ports um, beyond uh, what is absolutely minimum, and then making sure that everything is still using uh, VPNs uh, on every connection that's remote. It, it's it's getting... Uh, I remember back in the day when, uh, and this is recently, 15, 20 years ago, you know, when you had a, a machine at home and you'd leave a port open and you'd be running a little web server just for fun. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very dangerous. Uh, that style thing these days. Um, and it, it's becoming more and more complex. Um, even the idea of building websites is becoming more and more complex because of the idea of injection attacks. And the, you know, it's not just building a website anymore. It's really having to understand the full scope of security um, before you get involved in coding something like that. If you're not using a service like WordPress or something like that, right. way off topic. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, it's, it, all tied together. it is tied together. And, and it, it, it destroys one of the questions I was going to ask you because I was, I was going to ask what are some of the biggest challenges, you know, facing the IOT industry. And I thought we were going to be talking about making everything talk together, you know, so that the IT professional can see everything. Uh, but it sounds like there's still industries where we're never going to be able to see into their stuff. I think that's true. I wouldn't say never. Okay. Um, but it's becoming uh, – it's taking longer and longer. Uh, one that I, I like to give an example of the fire industry um, is one that is obviously rooted into personal safety. It's about safety. 
but they were very resistant um, to change and integrating onto networks. Some for good reason, um, some not. And what really forced them into thinking differently was when the um, there was a I can't remember what it was, but a mandate by the FCC saying, you know what, landline telephones don't have to be maintained anymore. Companies like AT and T and Verizon don't have to deal with it. It can all go over IP. And this was fairly recent. I want to say that that happened a few years ago. And a lot of those fire systems in large cities are still using dial-up lines. Yeah. Um, and it, it changed. It sort of forced that industry forward. But um, I, So I still have a client now. I mean, I got an email reminder today. They've got, I don't know, like 13 POTS lines. Uh, across, I don't know, five offices where they're still using them for their, their fire, their alarm, um, and faxes, of course. <laughs> yeah. still, and the, the service provider is saying, we're getting rid of all these. And the customer's like, how are we going to do this? These systems won't work on, it's, you know, an IP system. They got to, you know, run new cable and, you know, do an ATA device or something. It's, it's a it's a complicated world, you know, uh, staying in the legacy world. And uh, I think we all saw this coming, um, I, I, I think. Um, we saw this it going this way when uh, – but the I hadn't thought about the landline problems uh, and what that was going to cause some of these industries. And, and the fire one was the one that was most evident almost immediately because those are also not systems – think about it you're not going in and changing those often. You're not upgrading them. And security really didn't have to be a thought that way because they were a closed loop system. Not anymore. If you're connecting them to an IP, even an IP phone system, all of a sudden there has to be a different expertise going into that product. So how many of these fire systems ever needed IT before? Um, I'm not from the fire industry, <laughs> but I, I did stay at a, a Holiday Inn Express. Uh, um, but I do know people in it. Uh, not that many. Um, it wasn't necessary. They were in. They um, they made their phone call if something was wrong. And then when you walked into a lot of these big buildings, you had the big um, panels that showed the fire department where and what something was happening. That's how it worked. Um, for lack of a better term, it was fairly analog, um, though there were digital cards and everything in it. So that was a, a big shift. Um, and I, it's, it's one of those things, too, where you didn't hear a lot about it. And I would, I would love to know if there's anyone out there that knows what's been happening recently to fix this. Um, I know new systems, uh, and I've, I've looked in some of the newer ones um, by the larger manufacturers, and they're all generally IP based. They, they support phones, but these older ones, retrofits have to happen. And if they're still on those POTS lines, you think about it, the statement is they don't have to maintain them. You know, if, if AT&T decides, nah, that's kind of expensive because someone hit a pole or one of those boxes that has all those wires in it that sits outside, they don't have to repair it. Right. Um, it's, 
It's interesting uh, uh, because that that is um, so fire systems join what is now in that building inclusive IT world. And what does that mean? An IT professional needs to learn at least a little bit about what that fire system needs to do um, and also perhaps not completely trust it uh, to say, all right, I'm going to give you the absolute minimum of what you need. Um, but I need to understand enough about your system to allow for that. In a way, it, it's exciting. In a way, it's um, educational. And I think it keeps people learning. Um, it certainly gives the IT professional a much larger, powerful role within uh, an organization um, and integrators as well. If they, learn, if they can learn these different facets. I, I mentioned last time the, the concept of that master system integrator, um, which hasn't been a necessarily big thing in the U.S., but in other countries it has, um, particularly Australia, where they're saying, all right, well, we need an integrator that is going to look at the, the building as a whole uh, and say, what does this building need now? Because we don't know the tenants. Um, but what what capabilities does it need um, now and over the next 15 years? And how can we integrate that building to make that the bare minimum so this building has value now and increases over time? Well, you're talking That's about – yeah, you're talking about some very forward thinking to make a building smart. You know, uh, I don't see that happening here in the sense of – you know, like a smart apartment building or something like that. I, I, I know we're trying to build smart cities or, yeah. you know, but that doesn't affect us that much unless we get into that. I, I, I made a note here because I know that I've got some listeners that are working with municipalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they're working with police departments. I don't know about fire departments. I know there are some low voltage people that are also in the IT space. They may have already dealt with this. Um, I don't think any of them listen to the show live, but if you do catch this on the back, uh, on the back end folks, those of you, you know who I'm speaking of, uh, reach out to me and let me know and I can report back to Michael what, you know, you guys are doing out in the field. Cause I, I know that that has to come up. I would love to hear it. Uh, I, I, I think there's something to be actually written about that. Um, because the impact was was not really discussed. No. Um, so no, and there's a lot of places that they're just like, well, we'll just we'll just ride this until it dies. Yeah, we'll ride it until it dies. But when you're talking about like fire safety, it's like, well, who's going to die? Like, it's right. literally that important. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you won't know until something really catastrophic happens. Uh, so. I do to go back to the root of the question though the building technology world is moving forward my biggest concern still is the 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 devices that come out of unknown locations that you're buying on eBay like I do for fun um and people trusting them um you know just implicitly trusting them and not knowing what's in them where they are talking to uh and um somewhat just implying that there's a trust in something because you bought it. That's, that's scary. Let me ask this. And I, I, I know you come from a lighting background and probably 
much more commercial than what we're dealing with. I think most of my listeners are getting into the smart home where they will do the, the what the Philips Hue smart lighting. Yep. Uh, they'll awesome. do. I love you. Yeah, uh, but they're introducing that into businesses as well. Uh, what are the what are the concerns around that? Because that's all going to be Wi-Fi or or app enabled as well. So it will. Uh, you know, Hue Hue is awesome, and uh, I would I would consider it an exception. And I'm I'm by no means. Uh, Yes, I did work for Philips, but um, it is a, it was the first one to really make something that was easy and integratable into a home that a normal human being could use. Uh, that's what I loved about it. Um, it's a very secure product. It does work. Um, up until recently, you didn't even have to create an account with you to use it. So it was a private world. More recently, they have changed that because they've entered the app ecosystem. Um but uh, commercially, it, it is different. Hue has limits, right? It'll it'll support the largest house um, that you possibly can have, and if you exceed it, good for you. Um, but um, <laughs> it's when you get into the commercial world, you you really want to be working more with the commercial lighting companies that are dealing with the security of these. Uh, you know, Philips has a commercial arm. They they do systems. Um, uh, Dynalite is the name of it, and it's it's. But all of the other ones have that as well. Um, you know, Lutron, one of the largest ones for controls. Um, there, there is a separation, by the way, in lighting between controls and the actual light fixture. Sometimes they mix, but light fixtures are really they generate light and they take electricity, and there's not too much going on in them. Um, whereas the controls are the things that are controlling what's doing the light and generally the things connecting to the network. Um, for the most part, a lot of those are um, proprietary systems using serial type connections for now, uh, at least in the commercial world. And that works to the advantage. Um, and these companies have put a lot of effort into when they bridge over to the network, uh, what type of security they put into them. Um, at least in the U S I've seen that quite heavily. Hmm. But you know, in, in the home, um, in the home, it's interesting um, because we have ecosystems in the home, and you're buying into an ecosystem. There's about three. And there's more than three, but let's be honest. There's you know the, the Amazon world, the Google world, uh, and then you have the Apple world um, with the Siri, Alexa, and then uh, the Google Home Assistant, um, and you're joining that network and adding devices using them as the hub. Um, yeah, I, I ripped her out of my house. Which one? Uh, Alexa. Alexa? Yeah, yeah. I, I bought one of the the music cylinder things, thinking, oh, yeah. I just talk to it. And back when I realized, you know, the Facebook and all of those things were listening to us, I'm like, you know what? Get it out. <laughs> I just yeah, I, I have a, an Alexa and a Siri HomePod to use them for music. We also use them in intercoms in the house. It's a great way to tell the kids to like get their laundry uh, without having to run up the stairs, things like that. Um, but they're we've gotten kind of used to them, um, you know. The kid and it's a generational thing too because the kids will commonly say, "Hey Siri, turn off the lights." 
I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, there oh, they go. Yeah. There they go. <laughs> <laughs> See, it works. Uh, but it's uh, the you know the moral of the story is we're we're betting a lot on these manufacturers and uh, without knowing what's going in the devices, it becomes um, a potentially dangerous world uh, unless you can uh, really go and look at what's uh, what's inside of them and no one's doing that. Uh, it's um, which is why, again, going back to the supply chain, if you're in the commercial world and in IT, really it's something that you should look at. We qualify computers, right? Most businesses qualify computers. Yeah. They say, you know, we're going to allow this, this, and this type of computer. Um, they fought Apple for the longest time saying, no, no Macs. Um, but they allowed them in because they were safe. It's the same thing. There's qualifications that have to be there. And if the, you, you can't say that it's um, all or nothing. Um, new things have to have a qualification process. And I've seen some companies doing this fairly well, uh, starting to really accept this. And they're all of the ones, ironically, that are accepting things like work from home or hybrid, bring your own device, because this is just the way the world goes. And they realize they have to operate in a safe world. So they're learning a different way of operating. Yeah. So I asked you this similarly on the last show and I was going to ask you, you know, since you went to the IOT security conference, uh, has anything changed in where you see IOT going in the next few years? That's a good question. Um, I, in an, in an odd way, it made a tremendous amount of progress through COVID. And that I think was driven by us working in different ways and moving fast and accidentally learning things. Um, IOT made a huge leap in the building space during COVID. And that sounds weird in commercial office. Why? Because they had to rely on monitoring buildings without people being in them. And so the value was shown beyond just being, hey, that's neat information to know the temperature. It was actually saying, hey, the building's not flooding today. That's probably good, right? Uh, do I see at home? Um, we're becoming more accepting. Uh, and I think that more and more things are getting added to our home world as well as our work world that are making things easier. Um, I'm scared of a lashback, uh, and that is because of security. Uh, and I think it's one of the things that was shared amongst that entire IOTSF uh, community that if there isn't thought put into the security up front and more people aren't educated about how to deploy these, that lashback could come in one of two ways. One, obviously, big breaches that are catastrophically expensive. The second one, which is equally potentially damaging, is um, regulation backlash, mm. which could start introducing ways of crippling innovation in some ways, crippling the idea of what you can do with software, because it, it, it heightens the burden and the barrier of entry of innovation. Um, 
I I want to mention, you know, everyone heard that the iPhone 15 has the USB-C connector, right? Yeah. Uh, from Lightning. And I'll be honest, I love you. I would love to carry one cable. And and we know it was all because of Europe and um, their, their mandate um, start using that. But when I started thinking into that more carefully, um, I was happy. I, I haven't bought one, by the way, but I, um, cause I have a newer phone. So what, why, what, what if something better comes along? What if something more innovative comes along? We're now locked into that and, and have to ask regulators to, to allow an innovation on a, on a power plug. And, and, when you, you look at that, you say, oh, man, I don't know which side I'm on here. It certainly worked for my advantage now, but is that really what we want is regulation, a lot of regulation in the IoT space, particularly from organizations that may not understand our industry and these sub-industries that are now joining IoT. Uh, it could cripple the HVAC market. Um, within you know innovation that they can't change that or so those are the two things that are are the the concern to me um, uh, and it they both involve security. Um, well, I, I I certainly see that because I know that if you, you know you use the iPhone as the example and people are getting used to coming into the office and plugging in their phones to their computers. And one of the things that we as IT professionals have done is we've blocked USB ports because we don't, we don't want somebody's phone plugging into the network with bad data or malware or something. And, you know, that I could see as something where that – I don't know if regulation's the right way to go with that, but we've got to manage that somehow. And when I say regulation, I am literally talking about government regulations. Um, I'm not talking about business regulations or um, what is best practice. Yes, blocking the USB ports is best practice. Do I think the U.S. government should say we should block the USB ports um, as a company? Nah, probably not. Um, Because that could cripple my ability to be a USB stick manufacturer. I don't know. couldn't come up with a good example there, but there's, that is always the, um, that's always the risk, right? Um, uh, uh, a knee jerk reaction, right? If, if something happens and so far it's been pretty good. Um, it's been very rational. You know, California has some regulations they put out on residential things, which were like common sense stuff saying, uh, nothing can have a default password anymore. Um, that's, really a pretty smart thing to say um so they've been very basic regulations it's when you start getting into more restrictive things um i'm not picking on apple or the the uh the usbc thing in europe because again i think it's awesome um granted i you i wirelessly charge my phone so it doesn't catch <laughs> me at all <laughs> oh my goodness gracious mike um uh wow we certainly I mean, just in that time alone, security is huge in the sense and the impact that it has on not just us, but everyone, as you said, just, you know, the end user, the the normal person sitting at home being able to do something uh, in IoT is just as huge as somebody in the office. 
Um, it's just as risky too, because yeah. they, if they're connected to their office from their home, because they work from home and they have an IOT device in there, uh, you know, that's something that they bought on eBay because they wanted to see if a motion sensor worked. The risk is there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I don't want to start another question because we could go on forever. We'll have we to, we'll have to try to do something a little bit later, but I want to give you a little bit of a break because you need to get ready for Florida man. And, uh, oh, while, while you do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors. I also want to say thank you to Tom. Uh, Tom is somebody who actually, uh, helped, uh, with the question about, you know, Looking at the security aspect of IoT, and you, you know, he wanted to ask about the anatomy of a hack that could happen, and we talked uh, about that in in terms of you know what could happen. So, thank you, Tom, for submitting that question, and for everyone else. Uh, again, if you are in a environment where you are supporting, you know, either a municipality or some sort of building that is dealing with this landline situation that they're going away and changes have to be made. Michael uh, is asking, how are people handling it? So uh, send me a note and let us know, and I'll, I'll get that on to him. Uh, in the meantime, we didn't do it at the beginning, but let me say thank you to NetAlly. That is the presenter of the IT Business Podcast, your number one ally when it comes to handheld network diagnostic tools. Uh, they are a great supporter. I will be doing a very special show at the beginning of 2024 with NetAlly, so be looking out for that, folks. Uh, our live stream, funded by Computers Done Right, managed service provider in Venice, Florida, over there on the West Coast. Uh, they do just about everything you need when it comes to computer repair. They even do websites, social media management, so thank you uh, for Computers Done Right. And our supporting sponsor, Instant House Call. If you are in need of remote access tool and you don't have one with an RMM or you're just getting started, Instant House Call is something you can start with. It gives you all the features as the big boys have, uh, not only the remote support, but you can brand it. You can do the multiple monitors. You can control UAC, uh, file transfer and printing, all of the things that you need to support your clients, head over to instanthousecall.com, sign up for 15 days free of charge and without a credit card. And I also want to say at this time, thank you to those of you that are patrons uh, providing monthly support. Uh, if you head over to patron.com, ID Business Podcast, you can become a monthly supporter. That also gets you a ticket to the Amazon gift card giveaway that we will be doing at the holiday show. So thank you all for that. And Michael, have you, have you a story that you want to use to challenge Florida man, or are you going to answer a random question? Oh man, I'm going to have to answer a random question. Uh, I had a story I'm going to go for the random question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go for it. So you, you you had a story that you thought would be good, but then. Uh, yeah. I may have been, I don't, I don't want to say I was the Florida man. I've never wound up in the paper, but um, I lived in Florida at one point and it involved a snake, but um, I don't, I don't know if we want to go there or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
All right. Well, I because we mentioned earlier that you thought you had a story, I didn't have the uh, generator ready to go. So let me pull that up and get a question for you. And the first question that comes up is, oh, if you could get the world rid of one disease, what would it be? Um, that is a phenomenally good question. Um, and there are so many, uh, obviously a cure to cancer would be amazing, but I think we're talking about, um, uh, malaria quietly kills so many people in the world. Um, and it's something that is treatable, uh, or, um, preventable um uh with money uh, obviously a cure for cancer would be the top thing on my list um but if we were talking about something that seems to the restriction isn't necessarily research but money um uh i would have to go with malaria hmm. um it uh, uh I, re- I can't remember the facts that were on it but it was stunning the um um, uh, amount of people impacted by it. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, spending some time in Africa and, and it's, uh, amazing how, um, rampant that, um, can be saying that that involves, we know how to deal with it. Um, well, and then we could also genetically engineer different mosquitoes. That would be scary, but, uh, uh, probably, um, Obviously, a cure for cancer would be top of the list uh, in in my book. All right. Um, I, was, I thought you might say something as simple as the common cold. <laughs> is, is oh, is God, still which a is virus. what I have now, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, didn't mean to get all serious there, but uh, yeah, I have a cold now, and hopefully I didn't sound uh, too off. That's okay. All right. So tonight's Florida man, and this is going to be in – uh, a story for my good buddy Chad up in the Great White North, and this happened. Uh, this story broke about eleven hours ago, so it is recent. The title: Florida man arrested after being caught with an alligator in his SUV. Now, many years ago, there was a great story about a gentleman who tried to rob a Wendy's by throwing an alligator through a window, and people thought. Is it true that people in Florida can just ride around with alligators in their cars? And as of today, the answer is yes. So a man is facing charges after he was caught by Florida deputies transporting an alligator in his SUV in Dixie County, Florida. And that is technically uh, west of Gainesville. If you understand the the format of Florida, it is if you were heading up 75 in between Tampa and Tallahassee, it's kind of in that part of the state. But uh, a Wildlife uh, Conservation Commission uh, county deputy discovered a three-foot gator in the man's SUV during a traffic stop. And the gator was in a bag in the back of 35-year-old David Godfrey's SUV. He told the officials that he saw the gator crossing the road and was afraid it would get hit by a car and that he would he had planned to release the gator into a pond. And just so you know, folks, it is illegal 
to have an alligator in your possession. Uh, he is facing charges, uh, and they did later release the gator into a safe area. So, yep, it happens, and I'm I'm so sure he was worried for the gator's safety. He, he was looking for dinner or some shoes or a belt or something. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. All right. Well, Michael, thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, Michael Skirla with Radix IoT. Um, I don't think I gave your full description. You are the chief product officer there. So uh, I understand now why you would just randomly go on Amazon and buy crap just to see. What? It's, you know, sort of a weird hobby. Um <laughs> I, I should have asked you what's what is the weirdest thing you have seen, or what is the weirdest thing you've purchased to see what it what it uh, would do in the IoT world. Um, it's going to sound strange, but it was a soil moisture detector. Um, now the problem was I looked at this, and that, that doesn't sound super strange, right? Because I'm no. play with a garden, and I want the thing about it was it, it was fairly expensive for what I thought it should have been. It came straight out of like central China somewhere. Um, and I thought, you know, Hey, it's going to be about this big. No, it showed up to my house and it was about 40 pounds. Um, it was a industrial thing that was made to be buried in the ground. And then it has, uh, it speaks Modbus, Um, and worked um it did require a power supply that i wanted to say was like a five amp power supply uh at 12 volts so it was a pretty power hungry i couldn't i couldn't figure out what it would be used for in real life and like why it had to be so heavy um because it was heavy wow so that I, was the weirdest purchase by mistake because i looked at the picture and i was like oh yeah cool it's that big no. And and of course with Amazon you got free shipping. So that was well, though that was an eBay purchase. Oh, an that eBay. Was, that okay. was an eBay straight out of it took like six weeks to show up to wow. as usual um through uh China Post. Okay. I, I, at first I was thinking, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. I have a gentleman that I uh I've been on his show. He's got a uh thing called the Average Guy TV, and they talk about home gadget stuff and they've talked about sprinklers. Uh, systems that can be automated and with the apps and stuff. And he was talking about adding a soil sensor to the sprinkler system. So I thought that's where you're going, but I mean, you've, I mean, that's gotta be like a farmland type thing. It, it is typically they're like a fork that just goes in the ground a couple inches and that was it. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, that looks different and cool. I'll get that and try that out. Yeah. Um, didn't look at the dimensions or didn't, care to look at the dimensions and uh you know it was twenty dollars i thought that's expensive it's got to be a good one and no, no it's, a 40 pound twenty dollars it was like 40 pounds and to this day it's sitting in my garage actually. i was gonna ask uh, where is it now so yeah because i wasn't gonna bury the thing you know, i i live you know right i'm in a city lot so uh, my garden is literally like eight feet by five feet. We're, we're not talking a lot of land here. So if I buried this thing in there, I've lost, I don't know, a foot and a half of where I can plant a tomato. So I went and bought 
just a regular one um, off of Amazon. And that was like five bucks. Oh, uh, but I bought other strange stuff. I'm, I, but like, it's none of it's coming to me right now. I've got a whole bucket of call it connected devices sitting in the back. Um, well, we, we may, I may ask you back just to do a show on that. Just bring the bucket in and let's oh, just man. start going through stuff. It's uh, we can start ripping out some weird things. Um, and I would say that a good 75% of it worked when I bought it. Okay. But <laughs> was real junk. <laughs> All right. The IOT bucket list. That's, uh, that's what I'm going to name that show. So we'll get you back. So Mike, thank you uh, for hanging out here. We're going to go ahead and let the listeners go. Thank you folks for uh, tuning in. Uh, if you're watching by video, even during the replay, uh, if you are listening, thank you for downloading and subscribing. And uh, let me know what you think of this. This has been a, this show has, uh, I've, I've now got a whole lot of thoughts now to, to what we can do going forward. So thank you, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's great being here. All right, folks, we're going to be back next week. Uh, my guest that I had on, uh, on episode 580, if, uh, if you're not listening to the shows, go to the, go to the website and hit follow and find your favorite podcatcher because there's a lot of audio shows that we do. Uh, Michael's first appearance was audio. Uh, Shannon Simmons is who I had on last, and we talked about the Profit First system and how to you know, tackle money and finances in your business. So she's going to be on the show next week live. So I uh, recommend that you all tune in for that, and we can ask her questions on how to manage our books and uh, run our businesses better. So that's going to do it for tonight, folks. On behalf of my good friend Mike here at the IOTSF Security Conference and all those things, I bid you farewell. We'll see you next week. And until then, holla. <laughs>